This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Capness. To our listeners on the Capness HR Podcast, this episode is actually a re-release of an episode we did earlier in the year with Stephen Malley of, of SM Diversity. Stephen Malley was recently named one of Seattle's most influential people for 2018 by Seattle Magazine. So we wanted to release this podcast as part of that. To Stephen Matley and the S University crew, congratulations on this great honor. The Cavendish HR Podcast is brought to you by SM Diversity. SM Diversity is a full services staffing recruit agency. SM Diversity is currently looking to fill numerous principal software engineer positions in the Seattle area. The requirements for these positions are as follows. A computer science or related degree, eight plus years of overall experience, then one plus years of leadership experience, solid experience with cloud-based service development, extensive experience in building, deploying, and managing large distributed applications, experience with agile development methods, experience with DevOps, and CI CD tools and methods. A preferred qualification is to have a strong network in the Seattle tech community. This position is going to be, actually all these positions are going to be located in the downtown Seattle area. So this is not going to be a remote work opportunity for anyone. If you're interested in learning more, send me an email at jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com. Hello, and welcome to Cabinet's HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Stephen Madley. Stephen, are you ready to be great today? I am ready. Thank you for having me. So Stephen, tell us what's keeping you busy these days. Thank you, Jason. Um, I am proud to serve as a CEO and founder of SM Diversity. Uh, I'm proud to serve as a partner to SDS Consulting. And then I do have a couple of ventures and joint ventures that are revenue generating in other industries and roles that I play uh, from a consulting or an investor point of view. I'm, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur through and through, and I'm fascinated at always being a life learner and connecting forging relationships with people like yourself. The core of, of who I am and how I serve the CEO and founder of SM University today is that with the clients that we service, how do we get their job opportunities marketed to other community uh, prof- professionals of uh, diverse community of professionals, sorry. How can we engage them into coming and learning to become more of an inclusive workplace uh, through our DNI consultants that uh, lend their experience and lens and sustainability and the framework to execute that. We also do it through uh, events and workshops and multimedia. Uh, we believe that uh, the future and the norms of recruiting and attracting, retaining, advancing, promoting is all in the lens of voice of the employee, uh, it, it, the same that you would do as the voice of the customer. And we bring that in the dynamic, dynamic light and the behaviors of candidates and what are the demands from the audience to, to attract talent in such a competitive market. And uh, we're proud of that. We're proud of it, to be able to uh, understand the, the marketplace, understand the behaviors uh, in different uh, online, offline engagements, and how to make sure that we see that through in a um, diverse and uh, inclusive lens. So, so Steve, that's what's keeping me. Uh, <laughs> Steve, let me, let me tell our listeners some of your background real fast. Steve, overcome reverse is nothing new to Stephen. A high school dropout to an entrepreneur, he has twice created six-figure revenue-generating companies with less than $5,000 in startup capital. 
Raised by a single mother in the South Seattle Housing Projects, Stephen entered the workforce workforce at age 15 and quickly recognized the limited resources, mentors, and role models available to families like his in the area. In the years that followed, Stephen worked for both small and large companies in a number of different roles. In 2014, Stephen launched, launched SM Diversity, a boutique hiring agency committed to helping businesses create a more diverse and inclusive workforce. By connecting them with community-based organizations, subject matter experts, and experienced recruiters, his clients are able to leverage a broader network of diverse talent, ultimately resulting in in an expanded work marketplace. Stephen has become one of the up-and-coming thought leaders in the area of diversity, inclusion, and employment practices. He was recently featured in the Seattle Times' October 2060 issue around untapped talent and was selected to be a, a speaker for TED Talks at the University of Washington in May 2017 as it relates to organizational behavior and inclusive leadership. He has conducted brown, he has conducted groundbreaking workshops such as our HEC Diversity and Inclusion Program to several panels alongside organizations such as the Society of Human Resource Management, Tech Inclusion, Seattle Interactive Conference, Chase Startup Week, WTIA, Uber, F5, Boeing, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Bank of America, Amazon, Zillow, Expedia, Ross Fargo, Slalom, Progressive, the Seattle Police Department, Starbucks, BCU, Comcast, IBM, and other Fortune companies, Fortune 500 companies. In his quest for continued education, Stephen successfully completed his Cornell University's online strategic community resource leadership program, focused on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Stephen has also completed the business certificate program of the University of Washington. Foster School of Business in August 2017 and serves as a partner at SDS Consulting in September 2017 to focus on providing end-to-end resources towards current and future professional cleaners. Stephen, I stand up and applaud you. Um, you, are, you are doing a lot and making some great contributions to a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, this is amazing. Um, I think that was the first time that I've ever heard my bio read back to me. And I keep thinking, oh, God, there's so much more that should be in there that I didn't even mention. But just to, the, to hear that the first time from a different perspective, um, not to boost myself, but uh, it's it's been quite a journey, Jason. And thank you for reminding that uh, to me right now at this very moment. I, uh, I'm i humbled by what you read um, and I'm appreciative of it. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. But you have to realize you're in every single bit of that. And that's you doing that hard work. Thank you. Thank you. So, Stephen, why is diversity inclusion so important to you? You know, diversity and inclusion is very important to me. One, uh, it's 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 part of my fabric. It's part of my DNA. I believe that right now at this very moment, I can be my authentic, real self. And by doing that, I am in the best mental state possible in, in, in what they call a knowledge workforce, right? We are constantly trying to find critical cognitive diverse thinking right and however society and behavior has now influenced us to where uh, your mom your dad your household your cousin your football coach can actually uh, perpetuate different forms of hate and these things show up outside of the workplace and they're polarizing and they show up inside the workplace and the reason why diversity and inclusion is so important to me, and I and I summarize, I, I kind of preface with that, is that if it wasn't for uh, a diversity and inclusive to do what I'm doing and contribute to to life, to earth, uh, I wouldn't be able to contribute in this lifetime if it was if it was not 
uh, people seeing past the obstacles, barriers, and things that I was born into without my control, right? And um, it's so important to understand that. Uh, and, and I guess one of the most important things, the, the important ways that I've ever heard it was uh, when a gentleman named Juan Cotto from Fred Hutchinson, which is a cancer research place, I said, why is diversity and inclusion so important to, to cancer research? You know, tell me, tell me why. He said, well, if cancer to solve cancer to save a lot of and, you know, our biases and discrimination, we could have easily, you know, rejected or pushed away the possible source and answer to solve cancer that you could have contributed to the research. I look at that way in every part of our lives, uh, whether it's technology, uh, what we're building. It could be from the crash test dummies to sports. Diversity and inclusion is everywhere. Well, diversity is everywhere. Inclusive, inclusivity it, it, to some people is still optional and they're not being held accountable for it, right? And so we are essentially, based on our decisions and, 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 and the conditioning or unlearning, the new look to do, these are the ways that our world's going to be shaped and over history and over time when you look back in the history and that's why that's so important to me. I feel if uh, in the Russell Wilson analogy, why not us? Why not me? We were made for this. At that point of di- forget diffusion theory of somebody else is going to take care of it. Somebody else is going to do it. No, I think I'm responsible for this. And I, I'm going to hold myself accountable to committing to being a servant leader where I want to help others that might have the same obstacles that I had that were unseen to other people or were unreal to others, but they were real for me to experience. And and when I shout out that broadcast and what comes back out of it is overwhelming of demand of people that go, I know how you feel. I feel the same way. I'm looking for ways to uh, overcome that. I would love to magnify that more and more. And I, I know that's a long-winded answer of why diversity and inclusion matters to me, but that just gives you a, a small fraction of why it really matters to me and why it should matter to everyone and how we make our decisions. Yes, that's great, Stephen. Stephen, next, when you hear someone say, I didn't hire this person because they're not a culture fit, what do you think to yourself? What's your, what's your reply when you hear that? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I hope uh, this year, and if I could, I want to resonate this more with everyone in HR and everyone in recruiting or anyone that makes a decision. Um, we need to eliminate the words like rock star because rock star doesn't resonate with candidates like me if I was a candidate market because I love rap. Uh, I respect rock, nothing wrong with rock, but I love rap. And so when people go around talking about rock star and then associating with being top talent, what what, what what about rap star, right? We live in such a right-handed world, we forget the left-handed. And, um, you know, when I think about culture fit, I, I, I talk about that and I use that analogy because culture fit to me is like, we're rock star. And if you like rap, we don't get it here. Well, if you look at the history of Jimmy Iovine and you watch the documentary called The Defiant Ones, the reason why Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre are billionaires now is because they understood diversity and inclusion, even in music, even in entertainment, is that you have to be able to understand outside of your own uh, behaviors or what you've been accustomed to. So, yes, we like rock stars. Yes, this is how we are. But why does everyone need to be like that? Why can't we hire the cultural addition instead of always looking for the fit? always looking for other rock stars, always looking for other singers. You don't get a band that way, you know? And so 
the, the reason why I say that is because not everyone wants to be that rock star. Not everyone wants to be like you. Not everyone wants to have a micromanager or some people prefer that. It's different working styles. It's like, what are you passionate about? What do you excel in? Where and what's your working style? Some people like the agile stand-up. Some people don't. Those are certain things that are working styles and all that. I think the right word to use is, do you have our shared values? Now, that's what we should be hiring for, is do you have our shared values of how the, the, how we interact with one another? We believe that you don't discriminate against somebody of a different faith and religion than you. Yeah, maybe the majority of us are Christians, but we embrace in the workplace other religion, uh, religious people with different, a religious faith or not. And by hiring for culture fit, we're basically telling people out there that have the talent and skill that, well, you know, everything all works out, but because you're a Muslim, you can't work here. How ridiculous does that sound? Culture fit. Or like, well, you know, we like to go play ping pong and beers. And even though you're a woman who prefers going to wherever you want to spend your time with after hours, if you don't fit our culture and the programmer type, then, you know, we can't hire you. Well, is that why, is that, I mean, is culture fit to me should be changed. It should be about culture addition and it should be hiring for shared values. Uh, we talk about the soft skills and the cognitive and critical thinking skills. One of the things that I heard Google said is um, if you can't explain your thoughts, if you can't explain your thoughts, it's hard for us to hire you. Because if you think about what we're doing is all we're doing is just sharing thoughts, right? And we're using different mediums. Now you have to, be able to share your thoughts. I've even heard other companies use uh, where they ask a candidate, tell us something that you're really passionate about. Well, I'm passionate about uh, cups. Okay. Tell us a hundred. If you were to reverse engineer about making cups and selling cups on an e-commerce site, walk us through those steps, please. And then you be, you have to whiteboard those steps, right? Like this is what I would architect. This is, you're explaining your thoughts. That's a good indicator that, wow, if this person worked, if Jason and I worked next to each other and I needed to know something from Jason, would he be able to explain his thoughts and what mediums would he be using and how can we support that? So when I think about culture fit, I think about let's look at different culture additions and shared values. Let's look at different working styles, communication styles, conflict styles. Let's embrace other perspectives. And the one some of the in- indicators of that, because people like to say, well, diversity and inclusion, well, how about diversity of thought? Well, what's the two indicators of, I couldn't even tell if Jason has a diversity of thought or not, but what are the two indicators if you were to look across the room and go, these people definitely have a diversity of thought. It's, 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 it's in their makeup. Well, diversity of thought starts with race and gender. It shouldn't stop there, but diversity of thought starts with race and gender. You have to look at the fact that as a white person, you are going to have a diverse thought from a black person. Okay. It's just the way it is. The, 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 the way society and the way we behave, it's a diversity of thought, but diversity of thought has been used to continuously discriminate, you know, or have uh, the agenda and the focus off of why we even have these discussions in the first place. And it's, the, it's what's the numbers say? What's the intentionality? What are we not being intentional about? And so when I think about culture fit, that is the long winded answer of how I feel about it and how I feel about all that that encompasses that. And I couldn't give you one answer because it's a whole 
overview of, you know, the 30,000 foot looking down and going, these are the reasons why, you know, I, I feel that way about culture fit. And, and it, it all kind of plays into one another. It's not one, one solution, one stop. So for me, whenever I hear like, you know, culture fit, I'd hire for culture, I just cringe because to me, that's code word for we don't want your con, whatever that con is around here, you know? Bingo. Bingo. Thank you, Jason. Steven, let's say a business owner has only five employees and they say, you know what? I really don't have enough employees to be concerned with diversity inclusion. What's, what's your reply? My reply is I've heard the same thing from uh, companies that are the size of Titanic. Steve, we're too big. We have 5,000 employees. You know how it is, Steve. It's just too big here to move anything and make any changes. Well, just because we have wars, does that mean that we should just say, forget world peace? Just because you give a dollar and you're not giving a hundred million, ah, my dollar doesn't matter. Ah, my vote doesn't matter. What have we seen? What happens when people think like that? Right? So that's what the danger of we're too small, we're too big. There was an interview where I believe the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, said, You know, when I first started Twitter, it was me hiring and trying to get things off the ground. I think that's what he said, hiring for diverse, because you bring that uh, different perspective thinking to the to the table. Yeah. So, you know, he looked back at his organization when it was, you know, at the size it is now. But he goes, if I could look back when it was 10 uh, and if I caught it, then that's when I can make changes because everyone looked like me then. Right. Um, and as it got, you know, as you get growing and you're emerging, you're hiring. It's hard because, I mean, I've had I've had people at Microsoft tell me, yeah, our department wants more diversity or get more people to apply but my one recruiter has 60 open racks. If they're working nine to five, where do you think they're going to find the time if they're going to be, you know, just really taking ownership and working after hours and going networking? And there's people that do that. And shout out to those sources of recruiters that go the extra mile and beyond the call of duty when they have the ability to. But if you are a recruiter that maybe doesn't work in an agency and you're salaried and there's laws of you working after so many hours and, you know, you have whatever life you have outside of work, you're not held accountable for making sure more diverse candidates hear about the job. So I'm going to give you an example. Here's a job. Here's, it's a product. Well, it's a job or a product, right? Hey, get this out there. Get this out there. Well, if you're getting it out there and you have 60 of these and you don't have any time frame, you're just, the quality is going to diminish. The intentionality of how many sourcing channels that you can use online, offline, and different creative ways to, to, to get more increased participation, you're not going to have the, the, you're not going to have the energy to do 60 rules for one person. It's just, it's overwhelming. So when I look at that, I look at the same thing as probably what Twitter went through or what any company went through. It's like, we just got to get it off the ground. We just got to get it off the ground. Let's just hire for whoever has the talent. Let's just get it off the ground. When you're in motion like that as a entrepreneur or when you're building out a, a, a technical startup, you have other things on your lens that you have to worry about, right? And you might not have the budget, the bandwidth, the, the resources, access uh, to learn how recruiting in the lens of DNI and initiatives and of DNI, how those behaviors and what you're seeing that you want are very two different things. It's almost like saying, I want to, I want to feel healthier, right? But yet you continue to uh, go to McDonald's, you get the, the Big Mac, you get the fries, the Coke, and you can continue to do that Monday through Sunday. 
Well, your behaviors don't match your outcome. So when companies talk about how, well, we're too big, we're too small, those are excuses for stuff. Um, and that's a lack of knowledge because whether you're too big or too small, you should go look at your peers and figure out, well, if you're too big, well, how are the other big companies in executing these, these, um, these strategies? And I'm going to say DNI as a business strategy because I want to, I want to, I want to be firm on how smart it is for companies. And I'm going to stick to that when I'm, when I'm speaking on it in this case, because I want to drive it home different. If you were to say, we've invested uh, uh, $1 million on Dale Carnegie training to groom up our professional sales team and our business development team using the business, the Dale Carnegie business strategy, and we spent a million dollars, what you're doing is you're taking a learning environment, a classroom, and baking it into the, the, your DNA of your company, right? And how you take care of your employees' health, wellness, growth, advance, attract, retain, right? Well, there's no difference in a consulting strategy of diversity and inclusion as a business strategy as well. Because when you understand those numbers and when you understand how that works, you understand that it's smart for business. And, you know, there's just certain recruit, there's just certain excuses that people make. They're too big. They're too small. If you're too small, that's actually great because you don't have to all the complexities that maybe a Microsoft has to uh, immediately start going out to networking events or uh, sponsoring a, uh, a coding academy or, you know, a doc uh, sponsoring a documentary at a community college um, uh, called Code Debugging the Gender Gap to uh, uh, give more awareness and attract more women uh, into tech. I mean, th- that doesn't that doesn't hurt you any. And those are things that I've done. Right. And that's for a small company. Now, if you're a big company, you don't have to look for you have to look within your organizations and they're called employee resource groups, right? Business resource groups. They are supposed to be, if, if effectively done, supposed to activate the organization, not as a corporate social responsibility, but a sense of the belonging, you know, be, have that, ex, that exposure, that experience, that interaction. I spoke in front of the uh, leadership summit for Bank of America, and there was the you know, uh, uh, veterans at um, uh, uh, Bank of America. There was the OLA at Bank of America. There was the uh, Pride at, at Bank of America. Um, I mean, when you think about all these different channels, what companies are signaling and what they're, what they're trying to hopefully get back is very much strong knowledge. Uh, there's a gentleman named Dr. Brian Uzi, U-Z-Z-I, that I had a, a, a fortunate opportunity to hear him talk in a workshop sponsored by Boeing and the Institute for Sustainable Diversity and Inclusion Series. And he was talking about leadership networking, uh, the six degrees of separation, Paul Revere versus William Dawes. And, 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 and basically, in short, and this is our, our secret sauce, it's not a secret sauce, but if you, can, if you can promote yourself and engage with different communities, you, you essentially impact their networks as well and their webs of influence, right? So um, LinkedIn understands this. LinkedIn understands this very, very well from first degree, like Jason and I are now connected. So that means I'm connected to his second degree, to his third degree, and whatever messages that he can promote to his based on what I tell him is going to impact his uh, network. So when you understand how those highways of marketing work, you can use that to your advantage and for good. And what I mean by that is companies immediately now can start 
engaging into groups such as like here Seattle. And if you're a five person company or whether you're a hundred person company, you can engage them as a external employee resource groups because shared values mixed with shared activities will increase your DNI initiatives and your qualitative data and that experience, right? So ERGs do that for you. They're supposed to operate in that sense. They have so much IP in their natural network and the communities that they belong or have came from that they can give you a sense of an idea of what uh, are the norms or uh, what are some of the obstacles and challenges or uh, some of the things that community uh, could be faced with more so than others, right? For example, I'll give you a clear example. In one of the books that I've been reading, we are dealing in America with what they call a perception gap. In studies, uh, when they ask folks, I want to say more than 60% of people believe that Muslim values go against U.S. values. However, in those same studies, the people that believe that uh, seldom or uh, have ever had a desire to meet and talk to a Muslim person. There's a disconnect right there of what it is that's really happening and what it is that's not happening. When when surveyed, are we doing enough diversity and inclusion efforts in the workplace? Maybe a lot of people will say yes. But however, if you ask people of color or women, how do they feel? Is there enough being done? They might say no. So you see those two different experiences are playing out. And unless you have like an ERG, a BRG, or those engagements with different community partners, you don't know. We have a perception gap. And even with the, 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 the powers of technology and all that, people are still trying to understand the behaviors and how they can connect online, offline experiences and have multiple touch points. If you can understand that and you can use that to your advantage, I don't care if you're small or big. You could do it today, right now. You can connect with multiple audiences right now. And I believe you could do that with products. I believe you could do that with people. I, could do, I believe you could do that with communities with job opportunities, with messaging. More and more is multimedia the, the, the norm of how we promote and how we get attention and how do we um, market that and the messaging. And uh, if you're a small company that's looking to, to bake that into a to your company as a business strategy, you might want to do research about that, right? Don't assume you know what you know. Talk to somebody that, that understands that from a business uh, perspective. Uh, if you're a big company, uh, if you are a big company and you don't have it down, you have seen what happens to bigger companies that are not prepared to have these discussions. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Uber, if you're Google, you're Facebook. Nobody's immune. Nobody. I mean, this has been going on since Coca-Cola days. Nobody's immune to if it happens, not, you know, if it will happen, but when it will happen. When it happens, what do you, how do you respond? So you can be proactive or reactive to it. So this is it's overgeneralization, but it seems like a lot of times companies or people say, you know, I need to become more diverse. But what do they do? They talk to the same people that look like them. They don't make effort to go find something that looks different. Or what they do is they'll re- recruit at the University of Washington, Washington State. They won't go to HBCU. Like, do you even know what HBCU is? I love that you're pointing that out, Jason. Um, and there's two ways to look at that. Intentionality you know, condition behavior, right? Uh, the analogy that I, um, and you're going to find out quick, I love analogies because to me, uh, that's how I grasp information. And so, for example, like a sales organization, right? If I said, Jason, you need to go out and sell 10 more cars, Jason. You need to sell 10 more cars. And you're like, well, I know I'm selling five and I can consistently do five, but it's sell 10. Uh, yeah, you need to go out there and sell 10. How? 
I don't know. Figure it out. You need to go do sell 10 cars or else you're fired. And now I told you you're fired if you don't sell 10 cars. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get fired. So now what do you do? What's your behavior now? You're not just selling cars, five cars anymore. You're going, hey, the next, after you sell five cars, now the next five that you have to sell, you're like, hey, this is the best. You got to buy it. Just buy it. Buy it. Now your behavior is so different, unnatural. You're, you're forced. You're, now, now, I'm not saying you should be accountable for the five cars of your selling five cars and there's not a, accountability. There's a stretch. That's a stretch. And there's no support, no knowledge. What should you be doing, what they should be doing is, here's how you sell five cars. So you're at five cars today. Here's somebody that sells nine or 10 cars consistently. Let's do some training. Let's do some exercise. Let's do some, you know, mentorship, some support. Let's, let's talk about the frameworks and the path and the metrics. There's got to be infrastructure to get you to 10 cars. Now, here's how, why I frame it that way. Um, there was an exercise that Dr. Cheryl Ingram of uh, Diversity did. Shout out to Dr. Cheryl Ingram. She's great uh, with these things. And she said, I want you to list the 10 people in your lives that you trust, right? And uh, we're all listening them out. Okay, these are the 10 people that I trust. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I only have three. I'm just kidding. But uh, you're listening out your, your circle of trust, right? This is what we call our natural network. It could be people you grew up with, family members, cousins, your alumni, your frat buddies, your sorority sisters, whatever. Right here, right? You're 10. Well, she goes, now I'm going to ask you to hire somebody for the company. Are you going to go to, and, I, and I'm going to say, I need you, Jason, to hire somebody you trust for a job at Microsoft or Intel or whatever it is. Who are you going to call first? Your, your 30, 40 people, or are you going to call your top 10? You're going to call your top 10 because those are your circle of trust. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, but I don't want it to be an excuse for the majority of white males that are in the workplace today that can say, exactly. That's, that's why we have the problem we have, because this is not the reason why we have the problem, but it could be one of the reasons why if we unpack the behavior like car sales, we're telling people to sell that sell five cars today to sell 10 and they don't even know where to start. It's like saying, well, I understand that you have your top 10 and they're all similar in these studies. What you find out in the top 10 of circle of trust, there's more similarities that we look for in each other. It's called, you know, like the, the like it's, it's a, we have a bias. We all have a bias. We prefer certain things, but the top 10 of people that you trust for, for whatever reasons it is, you know, ethnicity, race, you know, natural networks. These are your natural networks, right? Uh, I just ha- I happen to grow up with more Southeast Asian people that like rap that all came from South Side of Seattle. We just have a natural network, right? We share our shared values, our upbringing. That's our natural network. Well, if you look at the white males natural network today and who they refer and referrals are like 70% of the people that get hired in the workplace, right? I think that's where that's what they talk about. It's not that they're said, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. Well, let's hire all the white males and let's exclude everybody out. Now, I'm, I'm, I can bet based on behaviors and history and where we're at today and why we're even talking about this and why I'm in business is that shit happens. However, let's not discount somebody that has the 10 folks that they're in there and that they refer into the company. And now they're being accused of diversity and prejudice and discrimination. They're like, wait a second. I, I, I swear, I, I, when I started the company, I just hired the 10 people that I trusted. Or when I when we were, when we told Jason to refer people, these were the 10 that he referred. I, I don't get what we did wrong. 
all here. That is one thing of why we are where we are today. It's just like when Twitter looked back, he's like, I just hired the people that I knew, the, the natural network, right? There was no evil intent there. And what's happening is, and I read the news and I'm, I do a lot of research and I immerse myself, people find themselves in more of a defensive and, well, here's why and whatever that experience is, right? Of like, when we, when, when, when we, what we should do is have a learning opportunity of how do we make this person an ally? Okay, so you've hired your top 10, your Harvard, Yale folks, the people that look like you. How do you go beyond that? Let's talk about that. Let's teach that. Here's some of the methods. You know, and be, before we even go look for hiring for diversity and beyond the, uh, the, 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 the 10 people that you trust, how do we make it intentional where you are identifying and looking for talents that maybe you've never looked before and explored? I'm in the seat that I'm in today and have built the company that I'm in today because I have ejected myself into places that I'm uncomfortable at, communities that I don't know people. I'm not naturally from the... National Society of Hispanic MBAs community. I don't even know a lot of the other Asian American professionals within my, my, my backyard. I am not black. I am not a coder, but through my networking and interactions, I met folks that were from that community and they've grown from five uh, folks that are moved in from Seattle to thousands of people and have got huge uh, recognition here. Seattle is what I'm talking about, is, is, a, is an organization. The, the point that I'm trying to make is you will find magical things that happen when we get outside of our bubbles and outside of our top 10 trusted groups. And But it, what it takes is that uncomfortable, unknown, and purpose of why we're doing that, right? And sometimes accountability can help that for some folks. And that's how we're going to see the changes in the, the makeup of, darn, you mean Facebook and all these tech companies only have 1% of black people in their entire organization? There's clearly something wrong. Now, whether that was intentional or unintentional, it doesn't matter at this point. How do we solve that? What are some of the solutions? What are some of the different, better practices that we can introduce to these companies to change or improve their behaviors, to address their privileges and their, not to make them feel guilty, not to make them feel bad, but to address it and have and embrace those bold conversations and those perception gaps. And that's the way we're going to move forward. And if you don't see it yet, pay close attention and pay more close attention to how leadership at the top are really going to flip it to where they're going to get more ingrained. And now there's no top and bottom, but it's going to be more, not a flat organization, but where it's more, how do I, uh, I, at Cornell, they call it spaghetti. The more interactions that we have and the more overlapping, the better it's going to be. Because here's why I say that. A woman at Microsoft, there could be a woman that works in tech right here, and there could be a woman in marketing from here. And let's just say they're a 10-person company. Well, from a, a surface level, they look like they're diverse. Like we got 20% women here at Microsoft and they go out to the public and they go, hey, look, 20% women, you know, great. That is great. But the two women never, ever interact. They can be facing the same uh, feelings in their work environments. They can have similarities and they're looking to connect with people for uh 
different activities that they're both into. And there's no, there's nothing there for them to connect. There's no internal groups or Slack groups or after hours or anything that the company's offering. You're, you know, the com- maybe this company just wants them to come in, code, clock in, clock out. Nobody wants that in the workplace no more. And we're seeing more of people saying that's, that's not, that's, you know, the, the demand and the behaviors are changing now. But the two women without a shared activity or such as a, it can be like a male ally in uh, part of that group as well, right? It's going to be hard for them to have exposure, engagement, experience, and close that perception gap that they might have with one each other or have that unity uh, and, and a sense of belonging and somebody that has those shared values through these activities, right? And that takes intentionality to set those up internal uh, for organizations. Tell me about your social media. Can you tell us your social media links for yourself, your company, to, so people can reach out to you? Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, so you want to type in uh, SM Diversity uh, in, in any of those social media uh, platforms and we should be able to pull up. So, Stephen, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide the listeners any last words or wisdom or advice you want to pass on to them on any subject? You know, if, I, if there were some things I'd like to, you know, just basically continue to quote the people that I love. Um, thank you to one of our consultants, uh, a neuroscientist, uh, Venus Rekal of NeuroShifts. You know, I want to shout out some of our consultants and our staff and our team here at SM Diversity, our partners at SDS Consulting, our consultants, Venus Rekal, FNS Henderson, the Institute uh, for Sustainable Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. Cheryl Ingram of um, Diverse City. Uh, all of our clients and network of supporters, thank you so much. Some of the words of wisdom that I want to leave you all with is uh, what Tupac Shakur said and resonated with me uh, at such a young age when I was, you know, trying to just find in who I am, my identity. It, and it says, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the brain that will change the world. Tupac Shakur. And, you know, in the front of this cup, uh, it also talks, you know, the time is always right to do what is right. Martha Luther King Jr. Stephen, thank you for your time. You're doing a lot of great things for the community and people in general. I want to thank you for that. You make, you're making a, you know, some people say, oh, I'm making a contribution. Well, no, you're really not making one, but you can look in the mirror every day and say, yeah, you know, you're making people's lives better every day. And, and thank you for that. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.